and welcome to another episode of the Code 321 Podcast. I'm here with our very special co-host, Frank Rice. Hello, Frank. How's it going, Nick? Perfect. And today we're going to be talking about NREMT testing at the paramedic level. So for those of you that are testing at the paramedic level, you can hopefully get some information from us about what to expect. And for those of you that are EMTs, I've been talking to a lot of people lately that have said they're interested in going to paramedic school and um, ultimately getting that certification. So hopefully this podcast can give you a little bit of insight into what to expect once you do get to that level. Um, So Frank, you want to just tell them a little bit about what you went through when you tested? Yeah, so I tested for my medic in uh, 2000 and. 15 and it was when they were still on that older older model uh, of the practical test but uh, in addition to or I'm sorry prior to the national registry testing uh, most paramedic programs as far as I know have their own testing process just to complete the course and then be approved to go forward to that national registry testing so you have to probably complete a similar, um, written and practical tests custom to your school. And then you go to do your national registry, which is uh, fairly similar to the other levels. You still have the that adaptive uh, written exam, well, computer-based exam that you take. So my paramedic course definitely had that final exam, like what you're talking about. Um, we actually used a mock NREMT exam that was scored as our final practical And then the classroom piece was just a traditional 200 question exam and you had to get above an 80. So pretty similar, like you said, you're gonna have to test out of your program itself. And then when you go take your NREMT test, that's when it's actually standardized. So I took the most recent version of the exam, which includes the integrated out of hospital scenario. Did you have that? No, I've I've recently heard about it. It's definitely sounds different from what we did. Yeah, so I, I actually really liked it because it's basically an EMS call. You just have to run an EMS call, and if you're a decent paramedic and you're thinking at that level and you're not making any dumb mistakes, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it's a good idea because it, it is kind of awkward the way that you go from station to station and just do like part of an EMS call, essentially, and there's really no evaluation of how you go from start to end. Yeah, and this one, if you look at the sheet to evaluate you on it, it actually talks about... How are they interacting with the patient? How are they speaking? Like, are they working well with their partners? So it really is an all-encompassing evaluation of your performance. It's not just a skill or something like that, which is cool. So all the stations that you're going to be expected to do at the paramedic level um, are going to be two oral stations, which are very relaxing. At least they were for me because you're going to sit across the table from somebody, kind of like what we're doing right Those now. Those are actually my least favorite. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't like the oral one because uh, there, no, there was no visual clues, and I had some real wacky scenario. Now, Frank, did you do the out-of-hospital scenario? I can't remember. No, I was in the previous model testing, so I didn't do that. But I've heard a lot about it, and it sounds really good. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because it is a – completely congruent EMS call, which is interesting. And you're actually stuck in the room for 20 minutes at a minimum. You can't leave before 20 minutes. And that includes transporting, moving the patient, doing interventions, procedures, stuff like that. So it's actually a little bit more of an accurate reflection of how you're going to respond in an EMS call, which is kind of cool. And I know previous classes didn't really do that. Yeah, I kind of like that because, I mean, it's kind of awkward. You go into each individual station to practice like a, a skill that is part of an EMS call and yeah, they don't really evaluate you from start to finish. That's a good idea because it definitely evaluates not only the skills, but like just how you communicate, ma- you know, manage a crew, talk to your patient, kind of your overall affect, if you will. 
Yeah, and so just to give you a little bit of a overview on the stations that you're going to be tested on for the psychomotor portion of your NREMT exam, you're going to have the integrative out of hospital scenario, which we'll talk more about in a second. You're going to have two oral stations. You're going to have oral station A and oral station B, which is just an EMS call that you have to go over verbally with a evaluator. So they'll give you a scenario and you have to tell them what you would do and you ask them for assessment pieces and vital signs and they'll give you all that info. You'll have a trauma station, which for anybody testing at the paramedic level, and correct me if I'm wrong, Frank, this should be a slam dunk. Like this should be Shaquille O'Neal right yeah. under the basketball hoop. Like you can't be feeling trauma at the paramedic and level. And there's really not, there's no really crazy skills that you're going to do. I mean, you're going to maybe do a fluid bolus, but if you're coming up as an A EMT, then you, you're already good there. But it's nothing complicated. It's really very similar to even the EMT B trauma station. Yeah, and what we always try to remind people is is it's the patient assessment trauma. It's not patient procedure trauma. So they're looking to evaluate your assessment. So if you can find all the injuries, most of the treatments can even be verbal. I mean, right. you have two partners. It's not it's not like they're looking to see if you do a good IV, right? They're making sure that you have good assessment qualities. Right. I think some people get lost in that and they start thinking they're going to have to do intubations and all these crazy things and get evaluated and all that stuff. They really want to make sure that you have a good systematic assessment of trauma. And there's a reason that the NREMT makes you do a trauma assessment at EMT, AEMT, EMR, paramedic, all those things. It's it's definitely a really critical skill. Yeah, it should certainly be pretty solid in your brain by the end of paramedic school, that's for sure. Absolutely. You've probably done about 3,000 of them <laughs> through your program. Um, the other stations you're going to have are dynamic cardiology and static cardiology. For me, they were back-to-back, -back, so I did a, in the same room. You did your dynamic, and then you did your static with the same evaluator. Dynamic is one where they're using the monitor to simulate rhythms, and you may have to treat those, whether it's synchronized cardiovert or defibrillate or pace or something like that. They're looking for you to interact that way. Static cardiology is verbal, so they're going to show you an EKG or a rhythm strip, and they're going to give you vital signs and some sort of condition, and you'd have to treat it verbally. Yeah, and I feel like most programs require you to do an ACLS uh, certification at some point, usually before you test out. Uh, and if you've done the ACLS certification successfully, that dynamic station I, is very similar, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And if that's a really good point. If you're focusing on anything coming up to your NREMT exam for paramedics, what I always tell people from my experience is really focus on the ACLS algorithms and make sure you're comfortable with those treatments. I think almost every station that I had had something to do with ACLS. I mean, that it's everywhere. And you do it on the ambulance all the time. Yeah, it's a huge component. It's definitely one of the things that one of the greater uh, amounts of stuff that you acquire for as far as your scope of practice going up to paramedic level. If you can memorize the tachycardia algorithm, the bradycardia algorithm, and the cardiac arrest stuff, you will get through your dynamic and static really easily. It's That's all it is. It's just they're just testing to see if you know how to run through the algorithms because they're going to give you something that's that's in there, and they want to make sure that you can apply those to a scenario or a patient. So just walking through the time limits on these, just so you guys have kind of an idea of it, uh, make sure that as you're getting ready for your exam, once you're kind of in those final weeks, you're really making sure that you're timing yourself. It's important that you can do the skill well, but you also want to do it within the time limit. A lot of people get focused on identifying the right rhythm or running the monitor correctly, but you do need to do that in the time limit. Yeah. And I would say, Nick, like 
up until my paramedic testing, the I was never affected by the time limits. Like, you know, the EMT skills, when I teach EMT skills, I always tell them, really, don't worry about the time. You have more than enough time to complete this. But the medic ones, it's definitely a little bit more of a pinch for time. Yeah, you got to beat feet for sure. So just for example, trauma, always 10 minutes, no matter what you're doing, no big deal, right? Most people don't run into issues with the trauma time limit. Dynamic cardiology is four rhythms in eight minutes. So you got to make sure that you're treating these and moving on within two minutes. Um, at least for me, it wasn't too bad because the in the dynamic station, the examiner is going to be initiating those rhythm changes. And so you just have to recognize those and make sure you're moving through them quick enough. The biggest one that people run into is static cardiology. So you have six minutes to do four rhythms and you are the one that ask for the next rhythm. So you have to make sure you're on track for the timer. Um, I believe it's the same rules as all the other exams. You can have a analog watch, but you can't have a phone or a timer or anything like that. They're going to be timing you though. So um, the static cardiology definitely trips people up for two reasons. One, it's a tight time frame, right? You got to, you got to talk real fast. And two, because if you miss a rhythm, if you miss identify it, the odds are you probably will treat it wrong, right? There are a couple of times where you can accidentally, you know, get the get the rhythm right. Um, but the way that it's written is if you get the rhythm wrong, the treatment points don't count, right? So you can't get a wrong rhythm and then treat it correctly and get those two points. So you got to make sure that you identify the correct rhythm to get all of the treatment points. So if you miss one of your four, that's a three-point reduction, and there's only 12 points total. So you're really cutting it close at that point. You yeah. really got to get every other point, point. Um, and that time frame can really jam people up. Couple that with the classic test anxiety. And oh, it, yeah. It makes for a not very enjoyable station. Yep, absolutely. And the oral case A and B, those are 15 minutes each. I never ran into any issues at all with timing, especially if you're doing everything verbal. It's not like you have to do any procedures or anything. So as long as you're just paying attention and you're working through it and you keep an eye on your watch, you should be completely fine. It's essentially uh, the same as the medical assessment for NREMT at the A and the EMT level, except for you just ask for things and you point at things and you do things instead of having to actually physically complete them, you can just verbally say that stuff, which helps on timing a lot. And I believe it's been a little while, but I believe the um, proctor can also kind of like question you as you go through it. And that kind of adds a, a different dynamic too. Yeah, it's re it's definitely really interactive. So, you, you know, like if Frank were the evaluator and I were the student, I could say something like, you know, I'm I'm checking their lung sounds. What do I hear? Right, and then I'll tell you the sound, and I can ask, I can follow it up though. I can say, well, what is that? You know, what is that? If you don't tell me, like if I say, oh, you hear crackles, and you just proceed on, like assuming that I know, then I might hit you with a follow up question. Um, if you do a treatment, I might ask you like, why are you doing this treatment, or what might now? What are you going to consider? You know, what might you be looking for as like a negative side effect? Whatever they can really. Um, like you said, interact, interactive type scenario. Yeah, as you those, go. those classic clarifying <clears throat> questions that they're allowed to do. So they can definitely do that. The integrated out of hospital is 20 minutes and it's 20 minutes required. So all of the other stations, if you finish your static cardiology in four minutes and you say, I'm all set, thank you, then you can leave. If same thing with oral case, if you finish that in five minutes, see you later. You're, I mean, pass, fail, whatever, you can leave. The integrated out of hospital scenario, you have to be in the room for 20 minutes. 
And that can sometimes freak people out because they burn through their assessment. They get them loaded in the ambulance. And then you're just sitting there in this simulated transporting ambulance staring at the patient for another 18 minutes. And they're looking to see, are you going to be reassessing them? Are you going to be assessing the efficacy of your interventions? Are they going to be um, talking to the patient? What are your interpersonal skills? And there's actually points that are awarded for how you interact with the patient. So if you sit there for 13 minutes and you just stare off at the wall, that's recorded and you're evaluated on that. Interesting. So that, that one's definitely different. The cool thing about that one is you will have a partner at your level. So if they're still in the back with you um, and they're a paramedic, they can do interventions that you ask them to do, which is kind of cool. Once they start driving you, you're alone. So you kind of have to do that. So if it's all right with you, Frank, let's just go through real quick. Um, not going to be a very long episode today, but let's just go through each station, just a couple quick hot tips to make sure people are comfortable with it. Um, and then we'll move, we'll move on to the rest of it. Cool. Sounds good. So the first one I want to talk about is that integrative out-of-hospital, since we've already kind of talked about that a little bit. The best practice you can do for this is all of your field time, right? So running as a paramedic in the field. It's good to practice this, but why would you practice an EMS call when you can run an EMS call, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I've never done that station myself, but, you know, like anything else, repetition and just kind of honing your skills. And I kind of, but I like that. It's, it's kind of uh, effective in that your practice for it is real experience and it's like a more natural station than some of the less authentic ones that we've all seen and done. Yeah, it's definitely, they call it like the integrated out of hospital. And what they're trying to do is trying to pull all of those assessment pieces and interpersonal skills and procedures and put them all in one place so they can evaluate how you do all those together One thing to remember is I would expect that something will probably go wrong at some point in the EMS call. And it may be right when you walk in, right? They may be unresponsive. They may not be breathing. They may be in cardiac arrest. They may be having a terrible MI or whatever. Um, And you never know what you're going to have to do. You might have to interpret a 12 lead. You might have to give a medicine. You might have to do an intubation. You might have to pace. You might have to do any of those ACLS skills. Nick, did you say, does this replace the medical assessment? That's correct. So there isn't... Okay, so essentially, yeah, I mean... That's what I tell everybody, right? There's, they're not going to give you like a, uh, oh, I, you know, I broke my toe situation. They're going to want to make you utilize your skills, give medications. It's just like EMTB. You're almost guaranteed to have a chest pain, an anaphylaxis, something that's going to require you to give a medication or utilize an intervention that you have now newly acquired. So absolutely, you have to be prepared. And I think a lot of people, when they prepare for those medical assessment, or in this case, the integrated out of hospital, you get kind of focused on that assessment piece and you you stop thinking about, well, I need to know all of my medications, indications, contraindications, and everything that's going to go along with that because that's going to be evaluated as well within that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really good point. One thing that we talk about sometimes with paramedics is just remember that Anything you do in this station, whether it's EMT level or paramedic level, is game for being evaluated. So if you choose to intubate a patient and you do something improperly during the intubation, that's reflected in your grading assessment. So if you do an EKG and you put the stickers in the wrong places or you interpret the rhythm wrong or you ask the patient a question you know, and they say they're allergic to a medicine and you give the medicine, those things can all be reflected in that dangerous or inappropriate intervention. Um, and there's also other places there that they can um, take points away from you on 
just because you're not treating the patient properly. So this is a big station and it runs for 20 minutes with no interruptions. And you're going to have to do a primary assessment, communicate with the patient, do any necessary interventions, reevaluate those, make a transport decision, transport to the hospital. And something that I've heard some feedback on, which I don't have any official uh, support for, is uh, a lot of the times these scenarios are designed to have some sort of change in condition halfway through to see if you'll recognize that. So it could be something like abdominal pain, right? And then you you load them in the ambulance and halfway to the hospital, all of a sudden their blood pressure drops to 60 over something. You know, they're trying to see if you can recognize those things and if you respond under pressure. So don't be, you know, don't be shocked if something like that happens. And in fact, you should anticipate it because again, oh, yeah. I doubt you're going to have a nice smooth ride to the hospital for your paramedic certification. <laughs> no, probably not. Like you said, it's not going to be a broken toe unless they're having a massive heart attack on the side too. So they're looking to see you put all those things together. So that one's good. You're going to have a, a provider with you that's also a paramedic level. So that can be help. That can be helpful too. Um, so you can ask them a question. You know, you could say, "Hey, I'm going to give." You know, I'm going to give this medicine. How does this dose sound for this weight? And they can accurately tell you, yes, that sounds good. Or they can say, no, it doesn't sound good. So um, that's helpful in that station. Whereas the rest of them, you're going to be on your own, except for trauma, which you don't need to really do anything for except for the assessment. So the next thing you have is uh, your oral station A. So like I said, it's 15 minutes, uh, very at least for me, it was pretty laid back. Um, it's very intimate, though. You're sitting right across the table from another person, and they have their little notepad down, and they sometimes they have their little divider. They can ask you questions and give you a patient. You have to treat and do your thing. Um, same thing for B. It's the same same stuff. Uh, a lot of people report that they'll have uh, one adult and one pediatric. Uh, that can't be confirmed. Not everybody has that. Um for trauma, you've already done trauma or you're doing trauma for the EMT level. It's 10 minutes. You have to do a good assessment. You have to find all the in injuries. You have to treat the life threats first. You can't go to the secondary secondary assessment. If you're interested in NREMT trauma assessment information, check out our podcast, the Code 321 podcast, as you're listening to. We have an episode on NREMT testing with two exam reps that can go through those stations and help you. Um, and those people who are net students on your student portal under your NREMT student prep, uh, test prep center, you have access to the videos of actually going through each station. So if you're interested in that stuff, all that stuff applies to the paramedic trauma exam. Hopefully you've done this um, at nauseum in the paramedic programs. Hopefully you should know how to do that by now. Yeah, the, uh, the videos are huge. YouTube too is a great uh, resource to just kind of give you that, you know, visualization of the skill, and then you can take it and practice that way. Yeah, for sure. So for the rest of the stations, we have uh, dynamic and static cardiology. So like I said, uh, much like when you're an EMT, you do your auction administration and your BVM station. Usually those are together. Dynamic and static were together for me. So my dynamic was four rhythms. Um, they change pretty rapidly. Usually they'll give you some sort of scenario. They'll say something like you're at a you know, you're at a local gym and the person collapses in front of you, you place them on the monitor and then um, you're going to do your assessment piece. You're going to get an initial rhythm. You treat that. Something changes. You treat it. Something changes. You treat it. Something changes and you treat you treat it and then you're done after that. So you have four rhythms total. Yeah. And kind of like what many of us, I knew that as a mega code scenario. When we oh yeah. School. Same so exact thing. Yep. Basically yep. what you're dealing with. Yeah. For those of you that are familiar with the mega code, that's the same thing. And I would be shocked shocked if you hadn't done this multiple times in paramedic school good pun shocked shocked oh yeah shocked uh for static cardiology this one's weird because you have to it's it's almost like a pop quiz they're gonna flip up the rhythm you're gonna look at it 
You're going to interpret it. You're going to give them your interpretation of it. And it's important to remember that little things, like if you say sinus tack and it's actually sinus, or you say sinus and it's actually sinus Brady, that's an incorrect identification. You can't just say sinus rhythm and have it applied to anything with a P wave, right? It has to be the actual speed needs to be calculated. So remember when you paramedic students are going through, remember to pay attention to those junctional rhythms, especially, right? Your junctional tachycardia, you know, your accelerated junctional rhythm, your junctional rhythm, your junctional Brady, all those things, because those can definitely come into play. Those little words can make the difference between passing and failing. So definitely pay attention to that stuff. So those are the main stations that you're going to run to uh, through in paramedic school. Uh, hopefully your program is preparing you for this stuff. You can always contact us and we can try to give you a hand preparing for it as best as possible. We're trying to do a really good job of getting you guys from the uh, learning environment to being successful in the testing environment. That's something we're really focusing on right now. So if you're interested in that, um, all of our contact information is at netsvt.com. You can always get in touch with us there. Just for quick overview of the cognitive exam, the cognitive exam for the paramedic level is the same exact style as the EMT level. So remember we talked about the EMT level being the computer adaptive test. This is also a computer adaptive test, not to be confused with the AEMT, which is a traditional standard test. So for the AEMT, you're gonna have a set amount of questions. For National Registry, you could have 80 questions or you could have 150 questions right? Each exam um, has between 60 and 130 live items, which are counted towards your to your total score. So that's what actually determines if you're going to be a paramedic or not. But you also have 20 pilot questions, which is them just trying to figure out exactly what's going on to see if the questions are good, if they're bad, if everyone gets them right or wrong, too easy, too hard. Um, and the exam itself is two hours and 30 minutes. Yeah, Nick, I've <clears throat> just got a couple tips for everybody for the written test out there. Um, first and foremost, I think you've probably have seen this as well is try your best not to wait to take your test. I, I know that, uh, various things can happen in life that can get in the way and delay things, but probably for, as, from a teacher perspective and from having been a student and my, seeing my fellow classmates, the people who delay taking the test generally have the higher failure rate because some of the information you just don't retain. Um, the other thing that I kind of have seen, especially with, you know, with paramedics, you have people, it's not your, you know, I went right from high school into college and did my paramedic program. I would almost argue that's not really the, the, the most common thing. You're typically having guys who have been working in EMS as, with the fire department or whatever it may be they've you know they've been in the workforce for a little while and out of that school environment so your test taking skills believe it or not start to kind of fade away it's not like you just took your SAT and all that stuff in high school and you've been taking college classes um, and now you're taking this pretty challenging uh, test so refresh on those test taking skills you know reading the entire question looking for those key words the process of elimination for answers the national registry is classically known for being others oh, you know there's four right answers you have to choose the one that's the most correct so really focusing on those different answers and eliminating them you can often help yourself the other big one uh, and this is actually a tip i learned when i did the fpc prep from ia med they give you some cool uh test taking tips uh you know, one of them is you're you're in that room, you're sitting in front of that computer for what'd you say the limit was? Two hours. Two hours and thirty minutes. That's a long time. Uh, and what can happen is you can get 
like test taking fatigue, I believe is the term, while you're taking it. It's not wrong. And what happens is people don't want to stop because they're afraid of running out of time and they just start kind of like rushing through the questions. Uh, a great tip that I've used from those guys is if you start to feel that way, it's actually beneficial to move yourself away from the computer and take two minutes and just do some nice breathing and just kind of look around, clear your head, kind of reset yourself so you're not rushing through. Um, and then finally is, you know, the prep. You want to have a ton of repetition of those questions to prepare yourself. Uh, I don't think you can really go wrong with with taking a ton of questions and kind of learn, seeing every form of every kind of question they might ask. And there's a lot of resources out there. I, I don't think one is particularly going to be better than any other one. I think all of those different tips combined is going to help you. But you have, you know, I, I use dmtprep.com, but there's a ton of services out there. I think they're all good. People have their own preferences, but it's just a matter of putting in that time, practicing those test-taking skills and getting that repetition. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think uh, one thing to pay attention to is what Frank was saying about taking your test relatively soon after you complete your paramedic program. The analogy I would use is if you're training for a marathon for 18 months or two years and you run every single day and then all of a sudden you don't run for six months and then you try to run a marathon, how do you think you're going to do? Yeah, that's a good, that's a great way to say it, Nick. Because paramedic school is running a marathon. It's not a sprint like your EMT course or your AMT course. You're going to have a lot of hours that you got you got to get done. Just to give you a quick breakdown, just so you have a update on what the content area is, remember, uh, remember that you can always go to NREMT.org and you can get access to all of this test prep information that will show you exactly what you're going to be tested on and how it's all broken down. For airway, respiration, ventilation, you're going to have about 25%. Cardiology, you're going to have about 25%. Trauma, you have about 20%. Medical, OB, and gynecology, you have about 30%. And ops, you're going to have about 15%. And out of all of those, except for ops, obviously, you're going to have about 85% adult questions and about 15% of pediatric questions. So it helps when you're studying to pay attention to those numbers, right? So don't spend four weeks studying operations because it's worth 15%, right? But maybe spend a little bit more time on medical OB and gynecology. A good rule of thumb is look at how much of the exam is delegated to each one of those categories and then spend about that much time of your studying on those categories that way. That really helps. And a good study tip too is so that you don't fatigue yourself studying is uh, 40 minutes on, 20 minutes off and do that cycle for, you know, if you can do two hours, great, but uh, you don't want to fry your brain. That's a really good point. They were talking about the exam being two hours and 30 minutes. Most national education organizations in the country say that you should not teach or learn greater than 50 minutes per hour. You should have at least a 10-minute break every hour. So you have about 50 minutes, and then that 10 minutes should be a break at a minimum. And you were talking about taking a break when you're taking your exam. It's not the end of the world, right? Two and a half hours is a lot of time. You know, even if you're taking 150 questions, that's still that's still plenty of time, right? So we want to pay attention to that and make sure that we're taking those breaks if we need them. So if you get to an hour and you're still in the middle of the test, um, with the problem with the computer adaptive test is you don't know how far you are, right? With the A, if the A test, if you look at it and you're at a question 120 and you've been there for an hour, you could probably get to the end, right? It's not the end of the world. With the computer adaptive test, if you're at 82, you could have one question left or you could have, you know, potentially 
all the way up to 150 total, right? So it's good to take those breaks when you need them. Make sure that you're doing about 50 minutes of work, whether you're studying or you're testing, um, and make sure you're not afraid to take breaks. I can definitely, that's a really good tip. Yeah, don't forget to, to breathe, relax, and when all else fails, the most statistically correct one to guess is C. And don't change your answers. That's a really important thing too. There's been a ton of studies out there showing that if you go back and alter your answers, unless you know for sure that you made a silly mistake or you do your math and you know that the answer is something different, if you feel like it might be something different, statistically speaking, we know this. This is a fact. You can look it up on any reputable website. If you change your answers, you are more likely to get it wrong than you are to have it be right because usually your first instinct is usually your best instinct. I want to thank you all for joining us today about the NREMT paramedic testing. Hopefully this is helpful to those of you that are going to be testing. Frank, thank you so much for being here. We're looking forward to hearing your input on a lot of other really cool stuff. Yes, sir. We'll see you soon, Nick.